This episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a set of 10 uniquely beautiful diamond rings. This exciting collection of truly unique, limited-edition diamond engagement rings is available now at BlueNile.com. What up, world? It's Fast First Point Guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is another edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag segment that I record each Monday evening and post on Tuesdays. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you label it as Mailbag Monday or indicate that it's for the Mailbag Show. Or if you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show. LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com is the address. We have reached critical mass for Mailbag Monday, so I'm splitting it up. Um, I Each week, the, the second mailbag is kind of going to depend on, on the games. First, Mailbag Monday is still going to exist. We're going to record it on Monday nights, post it on Tuesdays. That one's not going anywhere. But each week, I'm going to have a second mailbag because I don't want these to run super long. The last couple of them have been over 45 minutes. I want these to be 25, 30 minutes, get in, get out, come back the next day. So that's what we're going to do beginning this week. It's going to start this with this week, a double mailbag. So we'll still have this Monday mailbag episode. But if you do not hear your question here, check your feeds later in the week. This week, it's going to post Thursday morning. There's an outside chance that a guest who I'm trying to confirm for this week uh, comes on the show and then it'll be pushed to Friday. But I'll let you know. You'll hear me. Um, just listen to each show this week. That's why I want to make them short so you can listen to them. You can spend 25 minutes with this in the morning. Get in, get out, get gone. So that's what we're going to do, Mailbag Monday. Nothing's really changed. We're just trying to shorten up the show a little bit. So again, if you don't hear your question in this show, make sure you check back later in the week because chances are you'll be waiting. It'll be waiting for you right there. All right, enough preamble. Let's get into the show. The first question comes from Liam who asks, For two or so years, I have fervently defended Coach Stotts due to his experience, player relations, and offensive prowess. But after the Bucks game, January 31st, he was asked how he holds players accountable defensively by Jason Quick of The Athletic, and Stotts lamely had a non-answer about how each game teaches you something different and you have to learn defenses on a game-by-game basis. Essentially, proving to me as a fan, he has no plan on defense. For the first time ever, I was willing to part ways with Coach Stotts because we need defense and we need it badly. Liam's question goes on pointing out that uh, Neil Olshay has acquired uh try to acquire the fix and basically saying that if, if the Blazers were to move on from Stotts, who are some options? Uh, in general, I think um, what I want to do in this first segment, is just talk about Terry Stotts. I think the conversation around him is super loud this year and Liam wasn't the only person curious. John Kay wrote me a note, uh, wrote me an email that said, I am not part of the Firestots Brigade, but it's hard not to consider the potential of someone else at the helm whistling and yelling five-second countdowns. I love the idea that that's all Terry does <laughs> because he does do a lot of whistling and he does count very loud. Um, John Kay, his his choice would be David Vanderpool, the uh, former Blazers assistant, current associate head coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And Tim asked another Terry Stotts-related question, asking basically is why don't... Um, 
why doesn't the team keep more motion sets or run more motion sets down the stretch, pointing out that when they do, it works, and then when we stop doing it, we get run off the court. And so I think all of these kind of play into the same thing, right? It's like people are um, itching to say, listen, Terry's had a great run or Terry's had a long run, if nothing else. And it's time to move on because he's um, because, you know, he's he just can't coach a good defensive team. I, I want to just spend four or five minutes on Terry Stotts right here, because I think this is sort of the loudest conversation in the fan base and, and it deserves to be addressed. I've kind of talked about it before, but maybe not um, really on the nose like I want to do here. So thank you to Liam and John and Tim for for these questions. I'll try to just sort of talk um, as much as specifically as much as I can. And hopefully I hit all of your questions. Um, basically, I, I kind of think the deal with Terry Stotts is some of his perception of the roster. Uh if you thought this team was maybe like a championship level team, uh, then he certainly has sort of well underperformed. Um, he, even when they were healthy, they were a terrible defensive team. So um, the excuse in the past was that they had shitty personnel and they were a shitty defense. And that was true. <laughs> I mean, that was certainly true. But this was supposed to be the year that they were going to take a step forward, upgrading with Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. and getting healthy Nurk back, et cetera, et cetera. So while I do think that um, personnel obviously plays into it, um, you just coach, you coach the players you have like that. That's how it works. Uh, I, I think the, I think the conversation around Terry Stotts is a little too binary, like um, specifically in the answer to after the Bucks game, I thought Terry Stotts did a horrific job answering Jason's question. And um, it was pretty embarrassing for him, but that's not the first time that he's done a bad job answering, like being put on the spot and answering questions in post games. Uh, he's not good at that. He's, that is not a, certainly not a skill of his. It's something I've always complained is that he just, he just dances around and skirts direct questions. He's, um, you know, people are like, ask him the tough questions and hold him accountable, which is kind of like, um, maybe you just want like a gotcha question for the coach that you can make a viral moment. But even if you just ask him straightforward questions, sometimes he just, he just skirts it because he's bad at media. So, I kind of I I will dismiss that kind of outright as that sort of that was proof that he doesn't know how to coach defense. I think the stuff on the floor is much more damning than the than the interview stuff. But I will say this is that um, not being prepared to answer questions about accountability is not exactly a good sign. But I, I like I said I think the conversation is a little too binary. Um, when the players play poorly or when they do poorly, oftentimes it seems like the conversation around Terry Stotts is he let them, he screwed up and let them down. And I think the conversation should be Terry came in with a bad plan. The players executed the plan poorly. Or Terry came in with one plan, the players didn't like it, they went another way, or they, or they didn't commit to it as, as strongly as he would have wanted, and and perhaps you blame him for not being able to get them to buy in as deeply. Like, I think that is more the criticism than just straight X's and O's stuff, because I think in general, there's plenty of really smart basketball fans out there, but in general, the guys in the NBA have a better sense of what they're trying to do and what they want to do than we do watching at home. So the sort of like, oh, well, why, didn't, why don't they... Um, why don't they do this or that or guard the pick and roll this way? It might just be because it, either the guys didn't execute a couple times or because they they think wrongly or rightly that, hey, we want to go over the top on this screen against this guy and blah, 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 blah. And everyone has to stay connected. I think, they're, I think to be clear, Terry Stotts deserves a ton of criticism this year because he the, they harp so much about um, fast starts. And then this year, they just started as one of the worst defenses in the NBA. Uh, the 
the the lack of teaching time in preseason certainly is a factor. The lack of practice time certainly is a factor. But it's also a factor for every team in the league. It's not a unique excuse. It's just a reality facing every team. Maybe this year wasn't the year to implement a new a new uh, defensive scheme. Maybe this was a year to slowly sort of build into it, right? Um, so I do think I do think that Terry doesn't have a great track record of coaching consistently good defenses, but it's not like he hasn't coached okay ones. He's certainly capable of it. This year he has done poorly. But again, back to the sort of binary thing, the ball movement stuff that Tim asks about. The Against the Philadelphia 76ers, they play super undermanned. They run out there with their, with their you know, eight, eight, nine healthy players and really um, seven and a half because uh, one of them was Kelgen Blevins who didn't play and the other one was Anthony Simons on a minutes restriction. So... Um, you run out there with a really limited roster and they totally bought into what the plan was. They moved the ball better. They were a little more attentive and, and aggressive on defense. Some of the offensive stuff, might maybe just the ball went in. Carmelo Anthony shot the ball really well. Um, but but clearly they were more inclined without a traditional point guard to play, to buy into the more movement sets. And then against New York, you saw it kind of stall. Even when Dame wasn't in the game at, at the beginning of the fourth quarter with Anthony Simons in there, they just ran high pick and rolls and Ant, Ant scored nine straight points, but he didn't really pass during that time. So to me, is that an indictment of Terry Stotts because he doesn't quote, use the same game plan? Or is it indictment of the players who don't buy into the game plan every time? To me, it's it's got to be the players on this one. In that specific instance, it's the players. So that's why I kind of think it's too binary. Clearly, he's capable of coaching. Clearly, he's doing some coaching. Sometimes the players do it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes his plan sucks. It's all of these things. That said, I think his job could be in jeopardy because he's the easiest thing to change and they are underachieving. I do think he's going to be saved by injuries. I don't think they're going to fire him midseason. Uh, I think the expectations have drastically changed with the with with just the health situation. I don't think he's free of criticism. I think he's a, I think he has been a problem, one of the Blazers' problems, certainly not the only one, and he's become the scapegoat in a way that Myers Leonard or Evan Turner has been in the past. It's always a combination of things. This has not been a good Stotts year, but the idea that there are the idea that he's holding this team back from sort of championship level is it's silly. That is very silly to me. Uh, I think you could probably find an upgrade at coach and they would be negligibly better, you know, three, four wins better. But three, four wins might be the difference in, you know, ninth place and sixth place in the West. So you could make the case that finding a guy who's three wins better is the most important thing they could possibly do. I accept it. That said, both Liam and John asked about, uh, sort of potential options with, um, John specifically pointing out uh, David Vanderpool and kind of asking how coaching hires work. Um, it's t you couldn't really hire someone out of um, it would be hard to hire someone out of a job, an assistant coaching job midseason. So I don't think uh, Vanderpool would be the move. It would be hard to make that move uh midstream because uh, you can't really go through the interview process. They just kind of have to pick their guy. Uh, I also don't think the Blazers are going to fire Terry Stotts midseason. If they go through a coaching change, it'll be, in, it'll be this offseason. And in general, it's like you'd expect. You get a list of names. You request, if the, if the, if the coach works for another team, you request uh, permission to interview them. Typically for a guy like David Vanderpool, um, you know, or, or other young assistant coaches, teams, automatically grant the grant permission you get to do the interviews you you 
make your choice. Obviously, if the Blazers want to hire someone who's out of coaching right now, um, they could do that too. But for me, the sort of hot names that are out of coaching are not particularly appealing. Miss me with Mark Jackson and and Jeff Van Gundy. Um, I don't I don't think either of them are uh, are major upgrades. I, to, to some extent, uh, I think that I think Stotts has done a bad job, and I am I remain unconvinced that with this current roster that. Um, I think the Blazers could play a more aesthetically pleasing style of basketball if someone could kind of get them to commit to it. But I kind of think what they do stylistically on offense, it has as much to do with Damon CJ as it does anything else. And what they do on defense is just, uh, it's not a personnel thing. Like another coach could coach a, a, a very different style of defense, but I think sort of overall quality, this team maxes out at about average. Terry Stotts hasn't gotten average out of them. So I think, um, you what you're looking for maybe is a coach that can get this team to like the 17th best defense in the league. I think those are realistic expectations. Uh, I wanted to spend a bunch of time talking to him here because I do think this is sort of the loudest conversation in the fan base. Stotts deserves criticism. He's he's stubborn. Uh, he's he's slow on the, on t- to make adjustments on stuff, and then he'll make an adjustment, kind of stick with it a little bit longer than you want because he wants to see if it'll play out. But he's not this. He's not one of the bottom five coaches in the league. Like he's just. The real criticism for Terry Stotts, and, and I'll leave it here and before we go to the next segment, is that he that maybe the key to this team taking the next step is change. It's like maybe they need a new voice. I don't think he's like this. I don't think like as a tactician, he's this like way overmatched and stuff like that. Uh, I, again, I think a lot of that is is what Dame is comfortable running. And so I think like the real argument you're making for for the change is that a new voice would inspire a new a new type of effort and a new commitment to try something new. And that, and that what, what the criticism is, is that, you know, they don't run stats of stuff as hard as they used to five years ago because they don't listen to them the same way. I think that, I think that to me is the criticism for why you change, not because he's like so wildly overmatched every time he goes out there. That's, that's a little too binary for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. All right, in the second segment, no, no more Terry Stotts. We had to go deep on Terry Stotts because I wanted, there was a bunch of questions about it, so we, we, I wanted to get there. But we're going to change it up. We're going to keep Mailbag Monday rolling. But before we roll on, let me tell y'all about Bet Online. Look, football season is done, but that doesn't mean that betting season is over. The NBA's here every night. College basketball's picking up steam heading into March. And the NHL is off and running. So that means... It's time to get to your online sports book. And if you're looking for one, there's only one place we trust and one place that has you covered. That's betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Look, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So at Lockdown Blazers, I got you covered for all things Portland basketball, but you might be wondering, what about the rest of the sports? Well, luckily, good folks at the Lockdown Podcast Network have you covered there as well with the new Locked On Today podcast. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. 
All right, Mailbag Monday rolls on. We went heavy stats in the first segment. So if you're tired of stats, I can promise you his name does not come up in the rest of this very fine Word document I've put together. Next question comes from VSA or VSA. Mm, I'm going to go VSA. Who asks, recent analytics show Carmelo Anthony's negative impact on the court. There were a couple of games on the recent road trip where I think he was a sub 20 minutes. How do you see his playing time panning out in the second half of the season once we're hopefully healthy? Alex also asks, is Carmelo the worst guaranteed minutes rotation player you've ever seen? At this point, I'd rather have Mario Hazonia back. Damn. That is that is tough. Um, no, Carmelo Anthony. Even right now, like even last week, he's better than Mario Hazonia. Like he he had two twenty point games. He even had a twenty point game in a win where he shot better than fifty percent from the field. Um, <laughs> he's not good, but he ain't. It's I, I. He's not the worst guaranteed minutes rotation player I've ever seen. He is a problem though, because he's just struggling. And he's struggling in a way that's so believable for a dude who's 36. And he's struggling in a way, like, in comparison to his peers, like Chris Paul and, and LeBron James. Like, Carmelo stinks, and those dudes are still really, really good. And I bet that's really difficult for him. But he's, compared to his other peers, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, those dudes are out of the league. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it is, he is on a believable downslope in his career and he deserves to play less. And I think as Vise points out, and I, I mentioned this in a podcast last week that I think it was significant that he played only 17 minutes in one of those games last week. Like there, when, when he just doesn't have it, you have to go away from him. And I know that the Blazers are, um, stewards of his of his legacy and i i do think that that matters like i do think he's they're going to treat him right and try to keep him in the rotation and play him a bunch and right now as injured as they are it's hard for me to see him playing zero minutes like um they need him a little bit they don't need him 30 minutes a night by any means but they need him a little bit is that you know Rodney hood can't play a huge huge minute load i mean if if he could there'd be a different question nazir little is going to miss tuesday's game with a knee injury his his fourth straight game that he's missed that i mean those are your solutions right there you can play you can play covington and Derek jones a little bit better but those dudes are have been shooting so 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 poorly that uh, it's the, what they bring on defense has to be dominant for them to really um, sort of change the conversation. And Melo, where he was useful last year, was that he could soak up pos- soak up possessions on a second unit that just couldn't score. But that's not the case anymore. So I think he has to play less. And I think this has always kind of been the solution. I think you have to work there. Um, when the team is healthy, I hope that there is a, a future in which Carmelo Anthony can play, you know, 16 minutes a night, two eight minute shifts, uh, and, and, and maybe less on nights when Nas or nights when, when Rodney or, or, or Robert or Derek Jones have it going. Um, you just, there are nights when Mello doesn't have it like capital I capital T like Saturday morning in, in New York, he did not have it and he hurt them. And I think that's undeniable. Um, 
I, I did see a tweet that suggests that the Blazers are playing like a lottery team, like a low level, you know, number one pick competing lottery team in Melo's minutes. If you just look at um, their net rating and when he's on on the bench, they are playing like a 54 ish win team. Now, on off numbers are a little noisy and I don't know if those numbers um, in general take out. Uh, garbage time when the Blazers may have um, you know, climbed back from some deficits against some really good teams while Melo's on the bench. But he's, I mean, he should play less. I am with both of you, Alex and Visay. Thank you for your questions. This next one, though, let's keep it moving, comes from Own Your Story at Mindset Vegan on Twitter, who asks, we saw Derek Jones Jr. coming off coming off the bench against the Knicks. Would that be a better balance rotationally when, until CJ gets back to balance out the scoring in the lineup? Vegan Mindset, you aren't alone. Dr. J asks, even with the Knicks game where, where few played well, Hood seems to be way more comfortable as a starter than coming off the bench, and his numbers are way better Assuming Derek was coming off the bench because of injury, even when healthy, should we keep this lineup of Hood next to Covington? I've been on Team Start Rodney Hood since the beginning of the year. I'm I'm still on it. Uh, a second unit with Mello and Gary Trent Jr. and and Rodney Hood has too many dudes who want to score one on one. Now you're bringing Anthony Simons in with that group. Too many dudes who don't want to pass and want to look for their own shots. Rodney Hood is the best playmaker in that group, and that is while he showed flashes in year two in, in Utah of being able to do that. That is not his bread and butter. His bread and butter is little dude on me in the post, about to go score. Um, you, you want him to do what he does best. If Rodney Hood develops as a creator, that's kind of, they'd love to have another one of those. Um, but the, the bench unit has just too many dudes um, who want to score one-on-one. And um, I think... I mean, I don't mean, I don't want to, I don't want to just sort of damn the Blazers here, but I just don't think that the current defensive group is good enough that you say you have to play DJ and, and Robert Covington every single minute together, because that's the only way you're going to be a good defensive team. I just, I don't buy it. Um, the, the difference in their, in their sort of them together versus them apart is not drastic enough that, that I think you have to keep that group together. So yeah, I'm with it. I think, um, Derek Jones Jr. adds a little defensive pop, a little length, a little athleticism to the bench. Rodney Hood um, adds more shooting to the starting group, which gives Dame a little more space to operate, Cantor a little more space to operate. I, I mean, it, it's not always all bench and all starters, so you, you mix and match, and, and DJ can still play with the starters a little bit, but I think that's the direction I would go. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that move. I've been on board with that move. Ain't nothing changed but the address. Oh, and, and Dr. J asked this, and I have this in my notes, so I'm going to give you the numbers anyways. As a starter, Rodney Hood in five games, 31 minutes a night, 13.2 points, shooting uh, 39% from threes, plus five. Play with better players, you have better plus minus. Uh, in 14 games coming off the bench, only averaging 15 minutes and 2.2 points, shooting a cool 25%. I those numbers aren't super meaningful to me, but it is note it is notable. I don't know if it's noteworthy, but it is notable. It is obvious that he's um, been way better in the starting lineup. But I mean, he's just been inconsistent. He's had his good he's had his good games when he started. Um, I think that's kind of undeniable. You play more minutes, you score more points. Uh, the efficiency is notable more than anything else. Okay, next question comes from Nathan, who asks. 
I would like to hear about what you think about Robert Covington and will he work out in Portland? His defensive numbers are great on 538 and maybe his offensive production has been hurt like a number of others because of the high points to assist ratios of Lillard, McCollum, and Mello, and even Gary Trent Jr. and Simons now that McCollum is out. Yeah, um, the Blazers don't have a lot of dudes that pass. Covington is the kind of guy who's um, mostly going to score off assists. In fact, on the year, Robert Covington is averaging 7.6 shot attempts a game and four and a half of those are catch-and-shoot opportunities, and he's shooting thirty under 30%, 29.7% on catch-and-shoot opportunities. He's just, he hasn't been good on offense. But I think th- that's most of my concern is that he's, he's like a league-average three-point shooter, and he just hasn't, um, he hasn't been there. And that's, to me, that's concerning. So uh, I will say this, Nathan, you sent me this question back about 10 days ago. When I peaked then, Covington was way up the charts in uh, 538's overall defensive ratings, their Raptor player ratings. He was like in the top 10 in defense, which is not something that checks out to me. Currently in the top 10, though, is Derek Jones Jr. So uh, someone for the Blazers playing defense, They um, Derek Jones Jr., 10th, plus 4.9, according to 538's Raptor. Covington is down to 27th in the league, uh, plus 3.2. To me, um just eye test wise, like Covington doesn't exactly seem like an elite defender. He has great hands on defense. Um, he can be disruptive. Uh, I don't think he's bad. I just don't think that he's sort of this like elite stopper. I think he's maybe a little overrated coming in, like not overrated. He was just billed as this like elite stopper. And that's not what he is. He's a really smart help defender. Um, the Blazers got two of those in, in Derek Jones Jr. And Robert Covington, when they actually needed like a really good point of attack defender, um, Gary Trent Jr. Please save them. But in general, I guess my long-term hope is that Covington just makes his shots. Um, I think, you know, I test, I don't think he's great on defense, but if the advanced numbers are pointing in that direction, I'll say that he's at least, he's probably better than my, what my eyes say. Um, I don't, I, I would rather trust both. If I thought he was good and then the numbers said he was good, I would believe it more, but I kind of think he's mediocre and the numbers say he's good. So maybe, um, maybe I'm just being too harsh, but in general, it's just like, he, he's got to make more shots. He has to be able to contribute on both ends. Uh, the whole idea was he was going to be very clearly the Bla- Blazers fourth best player. And he hasn't been that, uh, he's not, I, I'm not cutting bait on Covington, but, um, as sort of this, like, ideal long-term solution, which I think he seemed like at one point. He certainly has not made a good case for that. All right, in the third segment, let's come back and close out the show with more of your questions on this wonderful Mailbag Monday. But first, I want to tell you all about rockauto.com. You know rockauto.com. They're the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. And you can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They got everything you need there. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. You name it, they got it. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks, all delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate, so you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. And oh, those prices, that's the best part, because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low, and they're the same for the professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box, so that way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. 
still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. This week, Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels, go Tar Heels, and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. Subscribe to Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. That sounds like a really cool show. Uh, I encourage you all to check it out. But let's keep it rolling here. Close out the show with more of your questions on Mailbag Monday. This next one comes from Kennedy. What up, Kennedy? How you doing? Kennedy, an old friend of mine who sent in an email for the first time, who asks, as a very casual fan, I will generally only watch highlights of the Blazers or other teams' games. Do you think having a common format that only features offensive finishes changes the way basketball or other sports is consumed, understood, played? Not played by any means. Uh, But yeah, I actually think this is a huge problem with um, the game's popularity. Uh, I think I think the NBA does a really good job with diehards. Many of you listening to this show are, are diehard fans, and, and the NBA does not have a problem hooking you. In fact, you're listening to a, you know, four times a week Blazers podcast. You're, you're, you're not the problem. But I think the league has a trouble hooking um, a younger demographic because they aren't watching traditional broadcasts. They're watching House of Highlights, or they're watching Instagram or whatever, and they're getting they're getting like hooked to team to players and teams and whatever, whatever, based on these little sort of um, viral snippets. And um, I think the league does not do a good job of recognizing that and marketing that in a way that is smart. Like in like there are a lot of other non NBA outlets that do highlights really well, but the NBA doesn't do it really well. And I think the casual fan is attracted to the highlights and the way the game is sort of marketed and the game just, the games are long. They're three hours as opposed to 35 seconds. And the league does not marry those two appetites particularly well. So I I do think, I do think there is a high people who like highlights, um, have no sort of gateway to get into the game and because the NBA just doesn't, they don't have a good sense of how to do that. Kennedy asks a second question. How do young guys feel about their development time? When you talked about these players in person, could you get a sense of how they were dealing with their own expectations and maybe disappointment of not immediately setting the world on fire or are they pretty happy to be millionaires? Uh, many of them definitely happy to uh, getting paid a big sum of money to play basketball. But I think one of the hardest parts about um, developmental time and particularly the way the Blazers do things where they just they don't really believe that you need to play NBA games to improve like they think you can just um, particularly back when you could practice and stuff like that uh, before sort of COVID protocols change things but they believe you could just you could watch a lot of film work out a bunch do a bunch of skill work and have that skill work translate if you put in the time and just in season in the off season to say here's what role you have you need to get you need to become a stronger ball handler stronger shooter need to get your body stronger all these things um they don't really believe in in getting guys nba minutes to develop it's not it's not their plan and frankly they've developed guys pretty well without them uh being on the NBA court a bunch. So it's hard to argue with the process. But uh, I think one of the hardest things to do in those situations is tell the dude, hey, you're not playing because you're not good. Like that's, that is a very different conversation than, Hey, there's no room for you right now. It's like, you're not playing this, this, this person is in front of you in the pecking order because they're better than you. Um, I think that's really difficult for guys to hear. Uh, Jason quick wrote a story kind of about it last year, um, for the athletic, uh, kind of about Nazir little and, and quoting Dale Osborne saying, 
that one of the hardest parts about telling guys is that not only like do you need to wait your turn and 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 be ready and stay ready and all those things is that it's basically just like you you aren't good enough to be part of the plan right now so go get better so you can be part of the plan and i think uh i think for different guys that's more difficult but for the most part the blazers have had guys who totally buy into that and have developed and the ones that haven't are have they've moved on from next question comes from dan who asks, what's a realistic trade value for Anthony Simons and Zach Collins? Simons is good and still has potential, but I don't see him ever being better than Gary Trent Jr. Once CJ is back, will Simons even get meaningful minutes? Collins doesn't seem like he'll ever come back and may hit free agency soon anyways. Yeah, I mean, Collins is a free agent this summer. He has zero trade value. Uh, not because he's not good. Uh, that's certainly part of it, his lack of production. But uh, who is going to trade for him now and... Th- in order to pay him in the future. Like, you'd have to commit to him long-term. They can just pay him in the future if they want. I guess if they're really worried about the Blazers matching, they could make a trade. But he has, I would say he has zero, if not negative, trade value. As a dude who you have no idea if his body's going to hold up and really limited production. The team who likes him the most is the Trailblazers. That's, that's, if he's getting a bunch of money next summer or this summer, it's going to be from the team that drafted him and from Neil. Uh, Simons is a, it's a more interesting one. Um, I think in general, people think he's going to be pretty good, but, um, up until recently, I don't think we'd seen sort of consistent flashes. I do think his last two weeks, he's been as, as good as he's ever been in the league in sort of consistent production. Um, he's heading in the right direction. He's also really young. Like it's, you kind of, um, the Blazers pushed him too far forward and um, he seems like an underachiever because they went against their own plan of waiting till year three. In year three, Simons looks kind of productive. In year two, when they threw him out there into the fire for no reason, he looked bad and I think that changed the perception of him. Uh, but I don't think Simons has a partic- like super high trade value. I don't think um, other teams view him as like a blue chip prospect at all. Uh, in general, I think they both are relatively low, and it's one of the reasons the Blazers have a little bit of trouble um, putting together sort of like a blockbuster-type trade because they don't have these like, sort of um, sexy young prospects that you uh, that you can easily put together and say, hey, these two really, or this one really good young player plus other parts could get you, could net you back a star or something like that. Next question comes from Colin in Seattle who asks, why wouldn't the Blazers choose to have Alonzo Trier or one of the other many current Many young free agents instead of Kelgen Blevins, for example. Is it really better to keep your star happy by giving his cousin a roster spot, especially in a year when you'll likely need that player to contribute? I'm sincerely asking. I know there's probably a reason, but if Alonzo Trier and other seemingly better players are willing to play in the G League bubble, then then wouldn't they take a second two-way contract just like Blevins? Um, Yeah, I mean... I Colin, I Colin in Seattle. I 100% agree with your premise. Kelgen Blevins seems to be a not an NBA player who has benefited from nepotism. Good for him. Uh, I don't understand the Alonzo Trier thing. I don't watch the Blazers and think they need another. I mean, Alonzo Trier's nickname is literally Iso Zo. Um, I do not watch watch the Blazers and think they need another Iso heavy small guard. But uh, it, theoretically, yeah. Like, why haven't they filled out the other two way spot? That is a true bleeping mystery. And it's and a two way contracts, which is basically a G League player who can play, uh, who can be with the team for up to fifty games this year, I believe is the rule. But it's it's basically a minor league contract for a dude who can spend time with with the uh, with the big club and still be eligible to play in games. Is 
why they wouldn't fill the second one out is truly puzzling. Uh, I've reached out with no response to um, people within the Blazers organization. Uh, and I just think they, for whatever reason, they don't think that that's, that's the path forward for them. Uh, but the two-way contracts, I was going to say, and I kind of got caught up there, they don't count against the salary cap. So it's not a problem against, it would just be paying the salary outright. It wouldn't count against the luxury tax and be a problem there. So uh, there's no good explanation for it. It is, um, it is malpractice that the Blazers haven't added another two-way guy. Uh, you could do both. You could add another functional two-way guy and still have Kelgen Blevins. The Blazers have the fewest players on the roster of any team in the NBA. That's when healthy, 15. That is the smallest roster in the NBA. Not adding another minimum guy at the end of the roster because they didn't want to go into the luxury tax? Sure, whatever. Not adding a second two-way? Unforgivable, probably malpractice, pretty insulting to the fan base if you really want to if you really want me to to keep it real with you. Uh there's no excuse for it. They should add another developmental player because the they they played a game last week where they had nine healthy bodies, and it would have been nice to have 10. Next question comes from Jacob, who asks, Don't know if you've looked into this at all, but I know you're a math guy. You made a reference to Nazir Little coming in for Rocco when he's just putting up bricks. My impression was that basketball streakiness, being hot, in quotes, is misunderstanding randomness. Do you know if being hot is a real thing? Because if shots are random selection, according to the baseline of a player, then really we always want the most statistically effective player in in with the caveat that position matters some groupings of players are more than some of their parts etc yeah all of this i totally agree with jacob um yeah there's a lot of studies on what's called the hot hand syndrome i believe in the 80s it became popular that hot hand didn't exist and that it was indeed like you said a product of, of misunderstanding streakiness of misunderstanding the randomness of any shooting sample and saying like oh he's hot well it's he you know he's he he made five here, but he's going to miss five there and it's all going to even out or whatever it is. Uh, but in general, I believe over the last, I, I, starting in 2016 and over the last five years is that the more sort of people dig into the data science is that maybe hot hand is a real thing. And I think we're coming around with the people who go to like Sloan sports conference and stuff to believe that, uh, Hot, the hot hand in basketball, the getting hot is a real thing. And that perhaps, um, we were getting too, and, in misunderstanding randomness and sort of the, the popularity of the, in the hot hand doesn't exist in the 80s was maybe just taking too small of a sample size and extrapolating from that. So I, I do think, you know, players think being hot is a real thing and um, they think being in a zone is a real thing and, and it's becoming around that sort of the data nerds agree that it is a real thing too. So yeah, I think, I think guys can get hot. I believe in it. Um, maybe I didn't always, I call it caliente mono syndrome. Cause I'm a dork. Uh, let's, let's move on after that little Spanish joke. Next one comes from team mom at TCB Biggs on Twitter, who asks, I keep hearing, not just you, Anthony Simons is not a point guard. Why do you think he will be one someday? He's just not a natural passer. Doesn't have a great feel. Feel is one of the hardest things to measure. It's an easy thing to see, but it's a hard thing to measure. He just doesn't have a great feel for where for where his teammates are, where the defenders are. He's really good at. He's he's really a natural, gifted scorer and shooter. But there is another sort of feel, natural feel for the game to know where not just your defender is, but the help defender and you know all five defenders on the court and all five. All, 
you know, all nine other guys naturally. And Ant doesn't just have that. Um, I don't ever think he'll be like a capital P, capital G point guard, but the idea that he couldn't improve his sort of passing, playmaking, feel for the game instincts seems wrong. Like, I think, I think, I think he can make that happen. That's to me, that's no problem. Uh, he'll never be a real point guard, but he can get better at point guard stuff. I'll, uh, uh, CJ McCollum, who is a very similar type of player. And over the last two years has really sort of, um, stepped into his own as a better playmaker. And finally, we'll close the show on a fun one, maybe only fun for me. This one comes from Andy, who asks, Give me your best five-man lineup of former Tar Heels who have played for the Blazers. Would would they be any good outside of Sheed? Wow, hater. Okay, starting at point guard, Raymond Felton. Not particularly popular here in Portland, nor particularly good, but he was a productive NBA player in other stops, and he was an absolute star at the University of North Carolina. So I'll go with Raymond Felton starting at at point guard, starting at shooting guard. Jeff McGinnis. Um, Jeff McGinnis was a fun player albeit brief part of the Blazers, uh, sort of jail Blazers era. Uh, he wasn't a star by any means, but he's a, he's as good as it gets for former Tar Heels that, uh, that could play shooting guard on this particular team at forward. I'll go with Walter Davis throwing it back. Walter Davis is, is kind of a stretch cause he only played 30 games for the Blazers, but he was part of the 90, 90, 91 team. That was really, really good. So I'll go Walter Davis. Um, an underappreciated star at Carolina for sure. Starting at at, uh, power forward at one of the bigs, Ed, Edward Adam Davis, one of the all-time great sort of brief role players for the Blazers, truly beloved, one of Damian Lillard's favorite teammates of all time. Uh, just a dude who did did stuff to help you win, a, a, a consummate role player. And starting at the other big man, we'll go with Rasheed Wallace, the only true star um, to former Tar Heel to play for the Blazers. Um, this is a harder exercise than I want it to be because... Carolina just hasn't sent dudes west. Uh, coming off the bench, Nazir Little, he'll be our sixth man. Uh, Nazir, we're happy to have you on the roster. Well, we still went a little long this week. I can't help myself. I love mailbag. I just I like to I like to answer the questions. I like to give everyone's questions space. Like I said, we're going to do another one of these. So if you did not hear your question in this episode, check back later this week. Look for it on Thursday morning, uh, Wednesdays. Recording for Wednesday evening and and posting Thursday morning. We'll have a mailbag, an extra mailbag overflow show. If you want to get involved in next week's mailbags. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or send me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. They can get wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Blazers' three-game mini homestand starts tonight against Alfarukaminu, possibly, and the Orlando Magic. Fun games this week. We've got more shows. Check back your fe- Check back into your feed. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. This episode was brought to you by 1010. 
1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a set of 10 uniquely beautiful diamond rings. This exciting collection of truly unique, limited edition diamond engagement rings is available now at BlueNile.com. 